as I've worked in music, and this is something that probably most people won't admit, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna be like, yo, I like to sleep, and I don't get enough of it. I'm also gonna say that I have to work on my love for music because it is so easy after listening to music for eight hours a day to not want to put on your favorite song, to not want to go look for your next favorite song, to not want to like you know search for something that makes you super excited about this, to, to you know um, to listen to music as a consumer and not a professional. It's like these things need to happen for that passion to remain healthy. Hey everyone, it's Verlin from the Absurd Thought Club. And today, y'all, I am so excited for y'all to listen to this episode. I know I say it every time, but it is so true. Joining me in conversation is Hank Byerly, one of the most dedicated and willed recording engineers, producers, and musicians from Philly. He's super young, intelligent, and talented, and he's worked alongside musicians and artists that have shaped the soundtracks to a lot of our lives. So I know that all of you music heads will really enjoy listening and getting to know him a little bit more. All right, so without further ado, let's get into it. And what are you passionate about? My name is Hank Byerly, and I'm passionate about music, uh, specifically this making music and making it sound good. I think that's sums it up. I know that you engineer. I know that you're a recording engineer. You produce. You write. So I want to get into the evolution of that. Like you grew up in Philly. Um, so I grew up outside of Philly. But outside of I, Philly. Yeah, I don't want to like. <laughs> take that on because i definitely am a suburbs kid but it was like an hour and 30 away okay like amish country like mm. red rednecks and cornfield um but i got to philly as soon as i could i moved here for college and i've been here since so it's like five years oh okay five years so yeah. how did you get into music was that um something you discovered during your childhood or in college at drexel i uh, was like I guess it was like middle school, uh, you know, I was always in like the, like the concert band, but it never really like was anything for me. It was just like something to do. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there wasn't a lot going on in my town, um, but I had like three friends. So we all just kind of like joined a band and then <laughs> we made music together for so long after that, but it kind of got to the point where we were like, you know, we have these songs, like congratulations, like we, we did this. Now, what do we do with these songs? Well, we didn't know any better. So we like called recording studios because we were trying to figure that out. And they're like, oh, this is how much money it is. And we we're like, we're 15 and have no jobs. Any money is too much money. So, <laughs> you know, I kind of took that upon myself and started recording them in, a, in our song. And that's kind of, you know, the turning point for me because it was like, you know, you're 18 and your parents are like, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And I was just like, I like this. So I'm going to stick with it and uh, haven't really stopped since. So what did you what did you begin using when you started recording your friends? You know, it was really funny. So I was like in like we were like made a lot of weird music. It was like it was like almost hardcore, it was like almost punk, it was like kind of quirky, whatever. So the only person we knew to record was like my friend's guitar teacher. And he was like, yo, Studio One is it, man. Everybody's using Studio One. And it was like, okay, you're the only person that's ever told me anything about recording, so I'm gonna believe you for sure. And um, I bought like the eight channel Studio One interface, and he was like, "Yo, you don't want to record drums. Drums are hard to record." And our drummer was like, "Yo, I definitely want to record my drums," because <laughs> he was like, "Just use drum loops." And we were like, "So anyway, I bought the eight channel one because I wanted to record drums." And uh, yeah, it was so funny. I, I was just like, 
trying to figure it out, but I didn't watch any YouTube tutorials. I didn't know anything. And it was so surprising. Like, like I just was just trying to figure it out. And um, that's why I think college was super helpful because it like really grounded me and was like, okay, here's what this does. Here's what this does. Here's what this does. Also, nobody uses Studio One, so learn Pro Tools. <laughs> you know, it kind of pushed me in that situation for sure. <laughs> Studio One was a little bit surprising. I'm like, hold up. <laughs> yeah, it is not like, it is not the dog <laughs> that most people use. I don't use it anymore, but I did when I was 15, 16, 17. Yeah. So do you, did you like Studio One? Was it like a really uh, efficient DAW for you? You know, what's funny is like, I'm all about workflow. I'm all about DAWs. I'll talk about DAWs for the rest of my life. But at just at that point, I was so new and so young. Um, and like fresh that so I couldn't tell you anything about studio one I recorded a lot of songs in there and like I wasn't like about workflow or anything I didn't even know how to use like drum programming and all that so like if I would make songs in my bedroom I just had to buy a new drum machine if I wanted a new pattern like that's like or like figure out something like I had I, my knowledge was so like I was so beginner and I think that's like a beautiful thing because it was just like I was you know kind of making music in like the simplest way possible but like if we're going into like the features of studio one i can't add to that conversation i'm sure it's great but I, you know <laughs> so at what point did you you said you switched to pro tools right mm-hmm. what point freshman did you, year college freshman yeah. year. How, yeah. how was that awakening <laughs> going to pro tools it, it was funny because i also i was so like i you know when you know nothing about something like that's when you think you know everything where yeah. you're like you're like, oh, I mixed a record before. What is college going to teach me? I already recorded drums. And it's like, yo. When I got to college that first day and I saw the studios and, that, and I was just like, yo, I have so much to learn. Yeah. And uh, so then I kind of just started over, to be honest. I was just like, cool. Pack it up, Studio One. Let me get into Pro Tools. That's what everybody seems to be using. And um, then it was just like, I was really in a rock. Like, that's kind of how I came up is like rock music. And you know, um, I think college and going to Philly was like super good for me, like because it, it kind of got me out of like a, not like I always enjoyed other styles of music, but it just really opens your eyes because Philly is just as you know you grew up here, it's like it's like the music center of it, you know of my world and some of many other people's. It's just like the best musicians are from here for sure. And um, anyway, so uh, college kind of opened my mind because it also t- taught me Ableton, and I. I don't know if I would have ever learned Ableton if it wasn't for college because it was just like, oh, that's just what EDM people use to make beats. And I was yeah. like ignorant. And like, <laughs> but it's like, oh, I love Ableton. I love Pro Tools. I love you know, making music like that. So. Yeah, that process that you were talking about at the beginning of college where you're like, I know everything. And then you like quickly don't. It's like, it reminds me of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Have you heard of that like idea of being like, at the top of something and thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm the best. And then you quickly fall off your high horse and you're like, oh, I know nothing. Yep. And that's the, my favorite part. That's my favorite part of anything is like falling off the horse and being like, like, um, like my, my proudest moments are just when I'm at the bottom like that. Cause it's like, you just, you can just see how much you need to learn. And, um, you know, I, I, I love, I love that part of, of life. <laughs> Outside of this year, what were some other times within, like, your life that you were, like, at the bottom of something? And, like, looking back, you're like, damn, like, I really, I grew a lot, you know? What were some of those times for you? You know, that's a really good question. Uh, 
that was a really good question. I can name a bunch of those times, but for some reason, I guess this is like, it really pertains to what I'm doing now. Um, but like I was recording. So I was, as soon as I got in and I was at that bottom, like that, I know nothing point. I wanted to learn everything. I was like, I want to intern at every studio. I want to show up to class. I want to sit front row. I want to listen to everything anybody has to tell me. I want to get really good at this really fast. And I, I don't know if I accomplished that as quickly as I wanted to, but it was just like that hunger for knowledge. So I had, you know, I was like, mom, I'm not coming home this summer. I'm not going back to town. I'm staying in Philly. I'm going to figure it out. And I'm going to just like learn as much as I possibly can. So I was like interning in studios and I was like building up to get on back on that high horse of like, I know everything, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, and I was, uh, I was my friend, Maddie. She's amazing songwriter from Philly. Um, we were really good friends. She was in Philly for forever. And, you know, she was like, yo, come to this Grammy event. Um, and I was like, Grammy event? Okay. It's like, like this engineer is like going to teach you about engineering. They're like teach, throwing like a seminar for everybody about engineering. I'm like, well, I already, I already engineer. Like, what's the point? Like, but oh, cool. I'll come anyway. Yeah. It was one of the best nights of my life. It was like falling off again, you know? And it was like, um, it was Ben Thomas, who is an incredible incredible engineer um he uh basically in a span of like two hours changed my game like completely changed my game he was like this is how you do vocal recording in a modern way and he just was so fast and he was so quick and he was so concise with what he was teaching um that i just like in the span of two hours was just like, yo, I have so much to learn. I got to start back and then work my way up, you know? And um, that, that was really, really helpful because it was like, not only did he, you know, show me how far you can take, you know, how it was like, it was like never for me, like be the fastest at Pro Tools. Like that was not really in my game plan. It was like how to learn Pro Tools with rock music. It's like, you know, or like live music in general. I don't want to say rock music, but like, um, you're pressing record once for a lot of it and then you're just kind of like letting the musicians do their thing and then mm. stop it and you're like, do you like that take how do you feel let's get lunch you know what i mean the process is like you know um it's it's a lot of like um work in the front and a lot of work in the back and then like uh the workflow i want to i feel like i'm making it sound like all oh, rock engineers are slow it's not like that but to, in comparison to what ben thomas does and like what modern vocal recording is it is like not the same at all. It's like, as soon as I step in the booth, you're punching in, you're punching out, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're dragging vocals down to each track. You're making it sound really, really good, almost instantaneously. Mm. And, you know, that's that's what modern vocal recording is. Um, and he showed that to me in two hours. And from there, I was just like, wow, okay, let's, let's build this back up. Yeah. And because I was able to do that, you know, so many doors opened for me that wouldn't have been able to. And it all started there. Um, well, it started, I guess, you know, before then. But that was like for like what I do now mostly um, is a vocal recording. And, uh, you know, he, you know, he showed me the way. So props to him and props to Ben Thomas. He's always down to share knowledge. He's super genuine to it. So, yeah, shout, shout out. Him out. So what was that application, that practicing of the application of modern recording like for you? Because like, you know how you hear about something, you hear about something really cool and you're like, oh my gosh, like this plugin or the way that, you know, you you compress or, equal, or EQ something, there's like always mm -hmm. a 
method or technique, but then actually applying it, there's an entire process. It's a journey. It's a journey. (laughs) What was that journey like for you? I mean, it still continues to this day. I'm always learning and I'm always, I have a vocal template and like, you know, uh, like a, like a preset situation where I can, you know, throw in something and I can craft it to the scenario pretty quickly. You know, that's kind of a very big part. And that's what he was talking about. And that's what he was showing. Like, it, it wasn't necessarily about like, hey, look at this EQ that I used. This EQ is really great. His, his thing was, look at my workflow. Look at what I'm doing. Look at, look at the general situation. I'm the, you can have my template if you want. I don't think you should use it. I think you should make your own. I think you should make your own workflow and use what I like what I do as like a jumping off point, you know. And um that was like those kind of lessons are super, I think, helpful because it's like, you know, um, I didn't like come out of that like the best vocal engineer, you know. I came out of it like, oh, I need to learn, I need to build up, I need to grow. I, it's like something as like simple as like, you know, I need to have a preset situation. So if somebody comes in the room, I'm you know, I'm not like three steps behind. I'm, you know, it's always about being a step ahead in those situations. Um, and I was just like, I remember like watching him do that. And, you know, in college, it's like, like I was like, Drexel's an amazing school. And, and um, but a lot of the things is like, it's, it's like theory based of like, okay, so you have this vocal and it doesn't have anything on it. Here's how you put a compressor on. Okay, feel the ratio, feel how it moves. This is the attack, this is the release time. It's custom to this particular vocal. And then here's an EQ that does the same thing. Not to get too technical, but it's like each each thing is, is crafted for a particular moment that has happened. And I think what Ben did for me and what you know a lot of people, like it took me so long to realize is like you're crafting for a moment that's going to happen. This is This is a person that's going to record. You don't know what they sound like. You don't know how loud they're gonna sing. You don't know how far away they're going to be from the mic. You don't know what their tone is. You don't. You might not even know the style of the music. And you need to you need to think ahead to that moment. So when that moment happens, you can react and um, almost instantaneously. Um, and I think that process still continues to this day because every single time I update my template, every single session, for the most part, it's like, oh, I just learned this. I just learned this. I just learned this. So now it's like whatever session it is, you know, I, I just continually grow with my experience, you know, and um, he, and he does the same thing. Uh, you know, I'm, so I'm a, I post on a story where it was just like all of his templates and it's just like goes down and, then, you know, to the, anyway. Um, what you're saying about the different ways, like that college taught you how to kind of process these things and actually apply the theory of, of music and recording. And anytime I talk to my friends who like go to, university for for music um it it feels more of like a clinical learning experience you know how it's like very clinical and very Mm -hmm. here's every term here's the definition here's how you apply it here's Mm -hmm. like here's here's the ratio like here's everything that you need to know and then actually getting in the studio with someone or getting into an environment with someone it's like that it's like a more of like a human experience a human like an empirical learning experience or okay like like what are you saying i need i need to be two steps i don't know what this person's gonna do and there's always something to update and and i love that because it really puts it into perspective of like this this different dynamic between getting like a traditional um education for music and then also actually going in and learning but 
it raises a question for me of what is the difference for you of applying all of that in a recording studio environment and then live recording, like with Adam Blackstone or doing mm. in a live show environment? What is that process like for you? Very different. It is so different. Um, so I actually do like a very interest. So I do mostly studio recording. That's kind of where my focus has been. But recently in the past six, since like June, I've, I've really kind of getting into this live world that you're talking about. Um, I mostly am doing playback, which playback is like a very little known job. Um, something I really didn't know until, you know, Adam introduced me to this whole world, but, you know, it's basically bringing pro tools to the stage and tracks to the stage and Ableton to the stage. And, you know, they have all these albums. And if you already know this, I apologize. I'm just kind of ranting. I know nothing about playback, so please. Um, but basically it's like bringing your album to the stage, uh, where musicians or other people won't fulfill. You know what I mean? So it's like tracks that are like hard to recreate live or maybe your background vocals or something at like where it's like almost um, uh, like uh, something that you want to just kind of bring with you. And it's it's very common now. I would say uh, most artists are doing that unless it's like more of like um, a live band situation where it's just like um, but like most like uh, artists are doing that these days. So my job is to make sure that Pro Tools plays like all the way through my job is to make edits we want this to come in here we want this to come in there this needs to be a live arrangement um my job is to record the rehearsals so if like when the band is playing i'm recording that um and you know it's it's a really interesting situation because it's basically you know taking all my knowledge of pro tools that i've learned from the studio and just flipping it on its head because now we're using this DAW, even though it seems like it's the same way, in a completely different manner. Um, because there's different operations, there's different, you know, um, there's just the, the, the way it works is the same, but it's the different application that kind of forces you to go back, you know. And um, it's been so much fun. I've, I've been in Pro Tools every day for the past five years. And to the fact that I can still open this DAW and, you know, it, it, and just like use it completely differently just like makes me happy um and adam is just an amazing person to work with he's one of the most talented people i know he's the top he's at the top of the game for a reason um and uh you know working with him has just been you know a game changer for me um so uh there's like a lot of interesting things about that on the technical side but like philosophically you know i think i'll keep it to you know, it's it, it it's the same job in the studio, but just on stage. And you know, there is a huge learning curve, but um, for the most part, you know, I'm not doing front of house. I'm not mixing live. I'm not doing any of that stuff. I'm staying in my lane, but just at a different curvature. You know. Okay. Can you can you explain a little bit more on the technical side of what it sure. looks like, that difference in that learning curve is for you of applying everything you know on its head on the stage <laughs> absolutely we can get into technical stuff i was just trying to spare everybody yeah. trying to give everybody a little bit of mercy because i don't want my mom to watch this and be like "Ooh, i just <laughs> skipped like 20 minutes in the middle um <laughs> no but, but what's the most interesting part is because it's like pro tools is uh you know it's a great dog um it crashes 
it crashes. It's that's the thing. It happens. Um, in the studio, it's like, yo, my bad broke. Just give me a second. I'm gonna pull it right back up and we're ready. If that happens on stage, it's the show's over for like five minutes. Are you kidding me? No, 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 no. We're not doing that. So the solution is you have two identical machines running the same session. Um, and if one crashes, it's there's a there's a lot of mechanisms that just switch it to the other machine instantaneously. Mm. So it's like you know, if one crashes, the other one's got its back. And, you know, you then go to the crash, you go, okay, my bad. The computer restarts, right? So it's like, we're on this one crash, we're on this one now. And then this one comes back up. And then now they're both running at the same time. So it's like, the idea is they're not going to crash at the same time. It's just like, by chance, right? Um, and so that's kind of like the difference, right? Because you're, you're doing so many inputs and outputs you're doing like 32 to 64 most of my shows are 32 that i've done so far but i know some people are doing 64 128 inputs or in outputs and it's like that needs to happen twice you know what i mean it needs to happen on both computers so it's like the only really solution for that um in a live industry is to use audio over audio over internet so it's like called dante you know, um, so all those channels that I'm talking about are coming through one single Ethernet cable, the same thing that you would use to plug your router in, right? Um, something that I personally have never seen in a studio before. It's yeah. just like I record one channel, I record a vocal, that's me. And then it's like, okay, let me go into this different world where now I'm dealing with all these inputs and all these outputs, and I'm dealing with a system that's redundant, you know. So I have to make sure two computers are cool at the same time. And now I gotta make sure. Um, and this happens a lot with like um, modern vocalists. They'll use auto tune live, you know, um, not like, you know, like as like a, oh my gosh, what's going on? Like uh, my favorite singer can't sing. No, no, no. Like the stylistic auto tune that we know from like Travis Scott or like you know Little Baby. I just did. Like obviously they use auto tune. They don't sing without auto tune. That needs to happen live. So it's like another job playback engineers sometimes do is tuning engineering. So it's like I have that going through. You know, and I have that coming right back out and I'm monitoring the keys and making sure they switch per song with both my laptops, you know. So it's um that's like from the technical side, I think a really big learning curve. Also, these edits need to happen instantaneous. This is not, you know, um, and that's kind of the same thing in the studio with the vocal recording stuff. All these things need to happen before the artist even finishes the sentence, you know. <laughs> that's how you remain employed and that's how you remain relevant. So it's the same thing, but the process is different because it's like um, you don't switch sessions per song. You have one big session that has maybe 60 tracks, uh, 60 songs with hundreds of tracks. You have, you know, a typical session is three to 500 tracks, you know? So it's like managing that is different. You know, um, I feel like I'm going a little too deep, but there are, those are the key differences, you know, um, yeah. in the live industry. And it's been really fun because I like learning new things. It's my favorite thing about life. Yeah, and um, that's crazy though. Three hundred to five hundred tracks in a live session, and how long are these shows usually? Like, how long are these sessions for? Like an hour thirty minutes, um, and it's also like I don't I don't just hit play once for the most part. I mean, some shows if everything is pre-programmed out, but you know, um, every time there's a break and the artist is talking or something, I am re-triggering everything. So I'm making sure it stops and starts where it needs to go live, you know, 
And it's a lot of pressure. It's a, it's a lot of pressure because um, my, sh- my system is, is the show. Um, everything is synced to me, right? So it's like the lights, the videos, all of that is running off of my clock, my Pro Tools system, right? Mm-hmm. So um, if anything goes wrong, <laughs> there's no second chance. There's no like, my bad, bro yeah it's the show is is is, you know you know uh there's a glitch there's there's something you know wrong so um it's it's a it's a really interesting um experience to just kind of go and um at that higher level you know and, and do a flawless just a flawless performance you know a flawless playback situation um and and that has been amazing uh to just kind of be a part of and travel the world a little bit, you know, get my, get me out of this studio every once in a while and uh, see the world a little bit. So, yeah. Really cool. It sounds so beautiful to have that experience, but also it's like, that is stressful. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> stressful. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, uh, I, I feel like I've known Adam since I was 19, you know, um, he, the same Grammy event. Thank you, Grammy. You like, can we just talk about Grammy for a second? They have them in every city. If you're in the music industry, you should definitely look into that because they 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 give you connections super early on, right? Um, and so Adam was one of those connections that he was introduced through from another friend. You know, the friend of my professor was like, "Yo, Hank's a great engineer. Use him." And he said, "Bet my studio is broken. Come and fix it." And I was 19, and I fixed the studio, and we've been together ever since. But his projects have always been, you know, at the highest level, always stressful, always do this right now perfectly, and then we're going to jump. And, you know, that's been, I've worked with him for, you know, four years at this point. And is it four years? I'm terrible at math. Yes, four years. Um, <laughs> so it's like I'm used to that pressure. Um, and it's just basically putting the preparation in and putting the time in and, and, and putting the focus in to make sure that when, you know, the show happens, everything is solid. So it's like, yeah. um, that's, you know, that's the only advice I can give. It's just that preparation and that work. That's all there is to it. I was literally thinking about asking you about the preparation step of everything. Cause like, even if it's like what you do to prepare mentally, as well as technically, how do you prepare for every show, every session that you do? Cause I know that that probably is a hefty process. You know, uh, preparation, uh, you know, that was the show preparation is amazing because it's like, um, for a lot of well, my situation, my life situation. So I was, I was out with SZA for about six weeks um, in LA preparing for three shows so it was like their team is super solid they're all amazing they're all crazy musicians crazy managers they're all on their shit nobody's lacking so it's like you know it when it was time for me to do my job there was no like you know there was no question about what i was doing that day it was like here's the schedule we're going to be here we're going to you know make sure our stuff is solid because we've got these few shows you know, it's all laid out for you, and all you got to do is, is you know, wake up and perform and do your thing, and it's all going to be a okay. You know, um, situations in life aren't always like that. You know, it's like most of my situations have been I need to put in 
the time and the effort and scheduling and making sure that I am prepared for every situation as best as I can be. And what's even more important is when I'm not prepared and when I, you know, screw up or when I like come to a session half-assed and I didn't even think I was coming half-assed, but I've learned from those situations so they don't happen in the future, you know? And um, I think those have, uh, those have been like some of the lessons that I've learned, you know, coming up in Philly and coming up working on so many different genres of music, working with so many different types of people, you know, they all have so many things for you to learn uh, about culture. As we know, culture is a huge factor in music. It's, it's, you know, it's the driving factor. So it's like, if you don't understand the culture and you don't understand the music, then, then you don't understand the music um, is really what I was trying to say. So um, a lot of, a lot of preparation isn't as straightforward as I need to make sure my template is good or all that. It's like, I need to make sure I walk in this room and understand people and understand exactly what you were saying before. It's like people and skills and all that. That's like, that's preparation, you know, um, putting in the work to walk in and, and know, like if somebody grew up different, like I didn't grow up the same as most people I work with, um, you know? And so it's like some of the albums are like, Oh, I grew up listening to this album. Like I didn't. So I need to go listen to that album. I need to go like, you know what I mean? Like if, if we're in a room together and we're making music and I don't know your top five albums, or like you name something that I don't like get, like I need to go do the do the work to to come back to the session prepared. You know, um, it's like I'm a good engineer, um, but I also need to be you know, on your page creatively in, in the studio a lot of times. Or it's like I need to understand your references, and um, and this is like a like I feel like I'm going off on this little tangent, but um, but it's like obviously like you know i love hip-hop and rap music and all that stuff but it's like i did not grow up in a culture that was even like centered around you know um that art so it's like i have i have to and had to have done so much work to understand it's not just an appreciation for it but it's to it's to you know really put in the time to like uh, like listen to all these albums that I've never listened to, to understand all these things I never understand, understand like um, even just like culturally, like like beef between the East Coast and West Coast and all this stuff that I never grew I grew up on rock music. I could tell you every single alternative rock band that had like this tour and that tour and did this and that, but that's not what I do really anymore. I mean, sometimes, but that's not really not my, I'm really in this, this other lane. And so it's like, if I'm in this lane, I need to, you know, learn up on the history of the music, history of the culture, history of the people, and to to even, you know, feel like I'm walking in this room, you know, um, with the same energy that uh, I think uh, needs to happen. And it, even as just like a person, like, to be honest, like, this is just a person thing. It's just like, if you're hanging out with a bunch of people and you don't understand or you are like, oh, we need to learn about this, we need to learn about that. I think that's an amazing thing about college because it's just like you walk in and everybody's got a playlist you've never songs you've never heard of experiences you've never had and it's just like it's just an amazing time to you know um absorb each other and um it's like my little preparation tangent um but i think it's it goes understated you know the, the cultural significance of of understanding that kind of thing yeah i i love that so much like i was talking to my friend um xander he's cuban-american and he was mm -hmm. Um, he was in Berlin and London for a little bit and he met like a bunch of Amapiano producers. And he's like, this is a whole culture that I don't know or understand. And he was like, the first thing 
because I'm a guest. So what do I need to do? I need to study. I need to understand exactly what you're saying. I need to understand who these people are, what they listen to. And there's just so many different factors that play in a social, like social environment, especially creatively. If you're working with artists, working with artists, you have to understand, um, you know, their culture, their, their humor, their, what they like, what they don't like, like, it's just I love understanding what type of jokes people will laugh at and what they won't laugh at because it's like all right, like I know I know that we can we can get along. I know exactly what to say. Um, but for you, I want to know like what is it like going into? Was there ever? Are you an introvert or are you like an extrovert? What would you kind of put yourself as? Introvert for sure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, same. I'm an introvert. I'm outgoing, but I'm an introvert. And like going, being around a lot of people, how do you learn to build yourself socially or be more comfortable being around a lot of people, especially as an introvert and someone who like, who who wants to be and who is an amazing artist, engineer and like musician? So, you know, well, appreciate that. But, um, you know, and I think that's a really good thing is like, um, I think I'm a better engineer than I am a social like person, if that makes sense. Like, like if we were to get in a room together and we didn't meet in the studio and it was just you and I, I feel more challenged in that environment than I do if you were like, hey, let's go for a vocal session. You know what I mean? Or, hey, let's record together or let's make some music. I feel like the second one, uh, the first one is, is more challenging because it's just, you know, I'm in my head all the time. I'm thinking about a million different things. You know, um, I, you know, sometimes I just, you know, just social missteps. It happens all the time. So it's like, you know, I've had, I've, I'm so conscious of, uh, you know, how I need to grow in this regard and, you know, how to talk to people. And, you know, I just, you know, I just was mixing, since I've been back, I've mixed like 50 to 60 songs. And I, it's like, I'm not leaving my house. I'm just, on my desk, right where you see me right now, just mixing and mixing and mixing. And then it's like, you come out of that five-day stretch and you're like, ugh. It's like, you forget how to talk to people. <laughs> you forget. It. It's like, I call my mom and I'm just like, how are you? Like, <laughs> you know, and, and it's like, that can't disappear. No one cares how good you are. You just can't fucking talk to people or like have a simple conversation. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it, uh, I forget the question. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> Am I going anywhere in particular? Who knows? You're good. It's just how do you how have you learned to just get better in those social environments and like balancing being around a lot of people, especially in a studio or, you know, back mm. at a show or at those Grammy events? Like, how were you able to kind of balance the social aspect? Because you know what you you deliver, like technically. Sure. But it's like socially, how have you been able to grow throughout that? And like, you know, you know, I, I think my growth is just I would attribute to my friends, you know, and, and uh, I haven't done like a great job keeping up a personal life and all this. <laughs> but I've just have been so blessed to work with people that are, I would consider my friends and like my best friends, you know, um, and, you know, working with with people that, you know, push me socially and they're like, hey. Let's go out and do this. And I was like, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do any of that. 
So it's like for me to go outside, it's like, okay, I need to go. I need to go to this bar with my friend who I work with and we're going to have a good time. And I need to do that. You know what I mean? I have a lot of things to do today, but that is something I need to do because if I don't do that today, then I won't do that tomorrow. And if I won't do that tomorrow, I'm not going to do it next week. And then I'm just gonna, never going to leave my studio and I'm just going to be, you know. <laughs> so I think that's been an important lesson for me to learn um, and something I still push myself to. Like I, it is no problem for me to sit on my laptop and grind uh, like a million things out. But it's like, it is something for me to be like, okay, I need to, you know, meet up with these people that I like and that they like me. And we need to just like maybe talk about music and maybe we make beats together or maybe we just hang out and watch movies. Like that needs to be okay with me. Yeah. Uh, and time management is hard. Because when you when you work for yourself and you do so much, so you already know what I'm talking about, but it's like your schedule is the most important thing because your time is like invaluable. So it's like uh, for the past few years, I've been really leaning on work and really trying to do too much. And that's gotten me um, to a place where I am super blessed to say that I, I can work full time in the music industry. But the alternative side is like, you know, I don't, I skipped out all the, you know, the crazy events, the parties, all that stuff, like for the most part. And, if, you know, it's a yin and yang. It's like, you need to, you need to, it's like, okay, I've gotten this, my work in, in a place where I can keep going and keep reaching my goals and keep rising. But I also need to, you know, um, keep, keep up relationships and talking to people and all that. Um, that's super important for an introvert like me. Yeah, I I was having this conversation kind of with a friend the other week and I was like, she was basically saying like, it's when you step into these different eras of your life, I'll call them epics. I just learned about Marxist theory like two, three weeks ago. So I've been considering every era an epic. Um, but when you step into like a new epic of your life where, you know, your your hobbies are changing, your priorities are changing, your responsibilities are changing. It's like what you want to do changes like what you're saying like I could easily sit on my computer and and grind out a million things like that's so true because that's what you want to do like that's the epic of your life that you're in right now mm -hmm. and going to parties um even like my friend she was saying she's like yeah I haven't been to a party in like a year um and I don't know like maybe it's the invites stopped coming or or whatever but I wasn't looking for them and and she's like I've just been able she's a filmmaker and she's like I've just been able to make films and and do all of these projects um so I love the fact that that's like a shared experience of people who just passionate ass people like who just want to exactly what they're doing because all these parties, all these events, like, you can easily do what you want to do. Like, you know what you want to do, and, and you do it. And that's really the, the, the goal for a lot of people, honestly. But it's like a blessing to be where you are, you know? I mean, I would agree with that to the fullest extent. And, um, you know, I, I, think it, I think it is important to just kind of keep, you know, consequences in mind. In just general, like, consequences of just, I think, um it's like she's right those invites will stop coming because it's like oh well hank doesn't go out you know hank doesn't you know uh want to do this so why would I, you know so it's like every time somebody invites me to something if i don't like i i i need to really take take that into consideration um and to, to take that little weight you know it's like somebody wants my company and wants me to do this and do that and do this 
and reached out, you know, um, and if you don't p- put emphasis and time on that, like not, you're not always able to, like most of the time I still am kind of dodging the advice, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, you still need to, I, like, I'm appreciative for them and I still need to work on that for sure. Yeah. But, this is, this is my perfect conversation, you know, <laughs> a list of things I need to do. <laughs> so to make the conversation even more perfect, I want to talk about like cultivating community and like the family that you were talking about having and all the people that you collectively just, you know, chosen family for me is like so important, like understanding who's family, who's friends, who, who falls into these, these environments that like you put yourself in. Um, and so I guess to go into the conversation of the work that you do now full time of the artists that you've been able to work with, um, the engine, uh, the other engineers, the producers, managers like Kanit or Melodic, how were you able to really, like, how did you meet them actually? How did you meet the people that you're around now? And if I'm missing any more people, then shout them out. Cause we love people. Oh, I definitely have so many shout outs to do. Um, Wow, so many, so many, so many. Uh, let's start with Kenny Melodic because we love them so bad. They're amazing and have been amazing and been an integral part of my life in so many ways, beyond the studio and in the studio. Um, so I was in rock music, right? Let's go back. Okay, so just give you a brief history real quick. Try to sum it up real quick. So got to Drexel. I was like, I want to be in bands. I was in a bunch of bands. Um, when I was first learning about engineering and everything, I would flip records back over and I would be like, oh my gosh, this person did my favorite records like all the time. Like every single record I would flip out, it would be like, will you, will you, will you, will you? And I was like, I want to work for this guy. And it turns out I got really lucky because his studio is like 30 minutes from Drexel. So it was like, Drexel makes you do these co-ops. It was like, and then his internship program opened up and I was just like, perfect. So uh, I got in with him. That was an amazing experience. I learned so much. He is one of the best in that in the business in that particular genre. Um, but I was working for him a lot. It was over quarantine. There was nothing else to do. We were locked in together through it all. And um, I, with with the way it was working out, I was like, like I really needed money and I needed to figure it out because it was like these bills weren't making sense and I was working so much. So at one point it was like, my day was like, I would work eight hours with Will and then recording bands and doing all that. And then I would go to Retro City Studios, which we also need to talk about because that is one of the best studios in Philly. I came up on Retro City Studios. I go there religiously. Amazing, Mitch Beer, and Clark, Joe. They're amazing, amazing people, Josh. Um, but anyway, uh, I was recording rappers and I was learning about vocal stuff and I was like vocal recording and doing that at night. So I was working eight uh, to eight and then I would do like nine to one or something at the studio, nine to two, nine to three, whatever I could get, whatever people were paying me for, for like super cheap just to learn how to record vocals and making a little bit extra money so I can keep my lights on. <laughs> And then I would wake up the next morning and do it all again. Um, and so it was like 14, 15 hour days um, at that particular section. And then I was just getting like super burnt. And I was like, yo, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. So one of those vocal recording days, um, Retro City hit me and they were like, yo, 
you know, uh, we got a session coming in. Can you clean this up? And I was in class at the time, but it was quarantine class, little Zoom situation. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, was cleaning up the studio on history of hip hop class. And then Kanit walked in. And I kind of knew what, what his situation was, but I didn't really. I was just like, yo, somebody walked in. He seems cool. We're just talking. We talked about so many things. We talked for like four hours when we first met about like cycling, about like, you know, like just random stuff. He played me some mixes. Like, man, like it was, it was an amazing conversation. You know, we exchanged information a little bit and then that was it. You know, that was, that was it. It was like, I wasn't going to hit him on Instagram. Like, yo, bro, just so you know, like I really, you know, love talking to you, man. And it was just like, you know, here's my info. We're cool. You know, let me know if you ever need anything in the future. I worked for Will for another four months-ish. And then, you know, I heard Kenny was looking for another engineer for Tira. Because if you don't know, which most of you don't know, because Kenny is a bigger introvert than I am uh, in a lot of ways. And he's... <laughs> A genius. He's a fucking genius. Uh, he's he is the producer for Tierwack. He is the engineer for Tierwack. He is the manager for Tierwack. He is everything Tierwack. Anything Tierwack has done since the beginning has been Kenny. Um, Whack World, all that stuff. If you look on Whack World, it says produced by blank. That means Kenny did it and left his name off of it. Mm. He is an absolute genius. Um, and it was getting to the point where he was like, yo, I feel like, you know, um, like I'm doing a little too much. I would love for somebody to pick up the engineering side of things, you know? And so I kind of jumped in and uh, that's where I met Malai because, you know, Tierra, the whole family, chosen family thing is like super real with her. Like she is a she's private man. She's like, you know, a small family. It's usually like in the music industry, it's like, oh, I know somebody that does this for this person. My homie does this for this person there's none of that with Sierra, yo. She is like her people or her people, you know, and it is, it is like, I can count with two hands, the people that are part of her situation, um, especially with how big she is. It's like, that's, that's pretty rare. Right. And it's, it's purposeful. It's purposeful um, because of just how, you know, she prefers things and how she operates. And so, you know, being in that room, like even like for the first session, if I did the first session, they never called me back. I would still just like be the happiest motherfucker just bragging about that for the rest of my life because that's a hard room to get in, you know? And uh, it was amazing. It was like, I was nervous. I was like, yo, I just wrote an essay on Tierra, like, <laughs> like, you know, like three months before for my music marketing class. Like I was just like, she's like a huge idol of mine. And now I'm in the room and she's right there. And now I got to use all these skills that I had tried to learn for the past few years, things that I was talking about in the beginning of this conversation right now, you know, and I got to figure out, and you know, it was crazy. You know, it was so funny. This is, this is like a little tidbit. And I don't think Kenny knows this. So I'm hoping eventually he watches this and figures it out. Mm-hmm. I was trackball king. If you don't know what a trackball is, yeah, what? It's, this, it's this weird looking mouse, okay? okay? So basically this is like, the situation is like you move this mouse around and then you click with these buttons and then you can assign certain buttons to these and you, you go really fast it's like you know it, it 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 it's a fast workflow for a lot of people and that's what i was used to and that's what i kind of had been doing right because that's what i've been taught and when Kenit showed me the session for the first time he had his equipment which for me is a big no-no i always use my own equipment i know my equipment i know my equipment's gonna be solid i know how to use my stuff i'm gonna use my laptop i 
will fight tooth and nail to use somebody else's stuff. In this situation, I was not fighting. I was like, whatever you want me to do, man. So I jumped on his computer, you know, um, and I was on his laptop. No trackball, no extended keyboard, super laptop vibes. And I just was like, I'm going to rock for the laptop. I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> and I have not moved off the laptops for a lot of it for, since. Yeah. And, uh, really? which is, yeah, he, in that one moment, changed my entire, like, workflow, which was that session. Because um, then it was like, I'm not going to start bringing the trackball in if she's used to somebody working on a laptop. I'm going to pluck up my thing exactly the way she's used it. Exactly the way everybody in session is used to. Everybody's working on laptops. I'm not going to be like, oh, check out my trackball, guys. Like, <laughs> no, I'm going to, I want to fit in this situation as perfectly as I can. You know what I mean? So, you know, I only started picking up the trackball for playback stuff because with that amount of tracks and that amount of stuff, again, it's, it's like, you know, uh, it's super important to be able to move in that macro sense pretty quickly. And that's what everybody's using on the road for a lot of it, you know, so at least the people I was around. So it's like, again, I'm trying to fit myself in a situation perfectly. You know, Adam can jump on a trackball and be cool a thousand percent. But every time he jumps on my laptop, he feels weird. Okay, so cool. I'll trackball again, whatever. Neither here nor there for me. But uh, that's more of less about the mouse that I use and more about like the general philosophy. It's like, I need to fit in the situation seamlessly. Um, anyway, Melodic and Kani, we gotta get back to them. So Melodic was producing uh, and Kani is producing and we're all just kind of hanging out in the studio and just making music. Um, and the first song I made, well, I guess it was like one of the first songs. Tia works in bulk, you know, uh, because she's she's a prolific artist. She has so many songs in her um, that she creates, you know. Um, I don't want to give too much about the process away because I'm not sure she'll. <laughs> but I mean, you were there. You saw how many songs we had. We had to trim those down from another 100. It's like she, I've worked on hundreds of tear wax songs and uh, they're like a huge you know it's a huge honor but it's like that is that is how she creates she just creates lots and lots and lots and lots of songs mm -hmm. um so when i say it was one of my first few songs working with her you know it was like a few days in and we already finished a few songs um and it was a song called walk the beat which is you know out on um streaming platforms and it was used for an elf campaign and all that stuff um because she's super big in the brand space but it was like watching that that process from start to finish like melodic make that beat her write it and and then me you know engineer it like that whole thing probably took maybe three to four hours total it's just yeah. like the creativity yeah the creativity is insane was it like completely was it a complete track by the end of it complete track completely finished i'm not talking about the track i'm talking about the song like start to finish that's the way she goes, man. And it's like so much respect, so much respect for that. Another thing is, if I'm, if I'm allowed to share a little bit more about her process, she is the realest motherfucker when it comes to recording. The realest motherfucker. I was trained for the punch-ins. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to see what she needs. Full takes. Full oh. takes, yo. Full takes. She takes it part by part. Every time you hear hook, every time you hear a verse, that is her all the way through. No tricks, no nothing. It's just the way she rocks. And it's fucking hard. It's hard as nails. She doesn't like re reverb when she's recording. She doesn't like delay when she's recording. It's dry. It's one takes. That's that's her, you know? And to be a part of that shit is so hard. It's so sick. That's like hip-hop shit to the T. That's like old school recording. I love that so bad. And um, 
you know, I don't think she realized it's the way she's always done it. It's the way that she, you know, um, kind of like grew up on. So it's like, I don't think she realizes how significant, how special that is for an engineer um, mm-hmm. or for anybody, but just to like, you know, and I've heard Jay-Z does the same shit where it's like a Jay-Z verse, it's a Jay-Z verse. Look at this like unedited vocal track. And to give you a little bit of insight, and this is like no shade to anybody, or like is this, this is just like um, like whether or not you feel as if this is appropriate for genres, it's just the way it is. So it's like we need to talk about um, modern vocals techniques in the way that they are, rather than the way that people feel like they should be. If that makes sense, you know what I mean. And the biggest example of this is like auto tune. It's like should people use auto tune to correct their vocals? Ah, is music even real anymore? That's that's not a conversation I feel like I have any part of because. I have my opinions about it, which is that, you know, we people should use the tools that they have. And, but what I'm talking about is like deeper shit than that. It's like, I have 47 vocal takes and I'm going to make one vocal take out of the best parts of these 47. And I'm going to nudge them back and forth and make sure that they work. And I'm going to, you know, uh, tune this and, and piece this here. And I'm going to take this hook. So you don't have to sing it twice. I'm going to put this hook in three different places. And, you know, all these, all these things that happen on a daily basis in the speed of light, like those are those are whether you like it or not, whether you feel as if music is, you know, moving in a direction of, of like whatever that is. It's like that's just like that's just how it is. So anyway, uh, I'm saying all this to say that what makes recording material like a really special experience is how little tricks and how little magic there is. You know what I mean? How genuine her her feel is, and how like how people love her for her you know and uh, like that's just not, it's just not debatable you know like i could we'll, we'll go through the protocol session sometimes it's just like it's not debatable yeah i remember even like when when i first met you it i remember there was this one song where like the vocal sounds super clean yet like freaky and and just good i was like what did y'all put on this and you were like there's nothing on it there's nothing on it <laughs> i was like <laughs> What do you mean there's nothing on you're like there's nothing on it like she just recorded it that's just how she sounds like, <laughs> like Yo, and that's and that's amazing because it's like if she wants an effect on her voice she's just gonna do that effect and i remember one time i was like trying she was like i want to try to sound like a robot and i was like oh i know exactly like what kind of robot effect because that's a big part of engineering it's like an artist says something you need to translate that to you know technical stuff like oh she wants like a format shifting you know something like that it's like okay i got you and then with like a high whatever okay cool i did that and she was like that sounds cool that sounds like a robot but that doesn't sound like me and i was like perfect you do you and that's what, and she was like that's, i think that's what my fans would want is for me to do me and i was like like who like she wasn't saying that in any particular way she was more saying that like this doesn't sound like 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 if i look in the mirror i don't see that back and you know I think I learned lessons with her every single session. Um, but anyway, Monica Kinney, we gotta keep I, amazing. I go to I hit Kinney up every day. I, you know, I'm at Melodics Church every Sunday. Like they like these people are these, you know, the whole team is my family, man. Johnny Montina, you know, we gotta talk about Johnny. He's incredible, um, incredible manager. Um, alongside Kinney, like and that and that's like a huge thing. It's like, you know, I learned more about you know, because like I was a good enough engineer for that situation and for that like studio experience, but it's like I had to learn a lot about culture, uh, about their culture and how they grew up and how they're telling me stories about, you know, the way that, you know, their albums that they listen to or, you know, something that they reference from that. And like, 
you know, it's just like you join a new circle of friends and it's like you figure out, you know, little things. It's like, I've learned so much from them. And I've, uh, you know, I've, I've, I'm super blessed for that and for all the situations, for sure. It's so beautiful hearing you, like, just talk about your experiences and, and literally, like, one thing that I've gotten from, from this conversation is just how, like, open your heart is and how open you are and like how humble like it's not even I don't understand the word humble so I want to stray away from saying humble because I don't fully understand what that means but like just warm like homey <laughs> your like soul is it's, it's beautiful because so many like I don't know like so many times we we hear about studio environments and and musicians and teams and it always is translated at least what I've always heard is like it's always translated as like family and community and it's like being able to see your experience and hear from your experience hear about your experience is like just pushing the 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 ceiling there is no ceiling it's just pushing that envelope even further like what real community and family looks like within any industry within any creative field especially as artists Especially as artists, like, look. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think you're right. I think it's about that community and culture, like the crux of it. And, um, you know, I feel really blessed, like, in a lot of ways. And it's like, if, if I'm not open to, you know, somebody else's experience and how somebody else grew up differently than me, then it's like, I need to reevaluate a lot of things in my life. And, it, and it's like what you're saying about your friend, um, your Cuban friend, it's like, I was, I don't work in Latin music or any of that, but if I was to, there's a lot of work I got to do before I even sit down, you know, um, and, and record. It's like, if I, if I'm like trying to do this genuinely and trying to do this from the heart, it's like, I gotta, I gotta learn like a lot, like so much. And, you know, hopefully one of these days I'll get the opportunity to do that. But, you know, um, that's just, that's like a small example of like, you know, um, that just the intricacies of people. And that's all my job is. It's just the intricacies of people. Mm. You just gave me a title. <laughs> <laughs> the intricacies of people. <laughs> <laughs> so to, to wrap this beautiful, amazing conversation up, I want to get into yep. a question, which is a question I ask everybody. So mm. I really am excited to hear your answer. So what do you lean into more, love or passion? Love or passion? Explain to me what you mean by that. Like, what what is love and passion to you? So, love can be defined as so many things. There's so many different types of love: eros, philia, different types of love. But in the 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 general aspect of it, it's like your love for music, your love for understanding and connecting with people is what drives you to to be in those environments and what drives you to do that every day. Or it's the passion of it, just like the burning feeling that you're like, I want to do this. It's just every day I wake up and this is what drives me. So many people that I've interviewed have said, like, if they pick passion, they're like, passion is what motivates. It's like more of a motivating factor. It's I want to do this and and I want to do this. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to push myself to do it. And it pushes me. But for people who choose love, usually it's more of a critical like I fall and it hurts and sometimes I'm not passionate about it but I love it so much 
And, you know, that process, like what you're saying, freshman year of you like going to the bottom and not knowing anything, maybe that love for, for music pushed you to want to be even better and learn even more because you love it so much. Or maybe it was the passion that in those environments, in those times when you're like, bro, I don't fucking know shit. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, how do I, how do I move forward? And it's that passion. So which one for you, would you say is like, just pushes you more and you lean into more of love or passion? You know, I, I love this question because uh, now hearing your explanation, I, I think it's a really important topic that doesn't get talked about enough. So the fact that you're asking so many people about this is, is really props to you. Um, you know, I think passion is is what drives me. I never characterized it as passion. I've, I've always thought of it as an obsession. It's like, I can't do anything. Else. Like if, if this was to be all taken away from me tomorrow and like I was like like music or like recording or all these things that I've invested my life in, you know, don't exist by tomorrow. It's like, I don't, I don't have, I don't have a purpose in a lot of ways. Like I, you know, like there's nothing I would do other than this, you know, like go into my head, just pull the trigger. Like that's really like, that's how I feel. That's, you know, this was meant for me. And uh, I'm blessed to be in a position where I'm able to do, you know, uh, something that I feel like is so integral to my being. Um, and I can't think about anything else. I have to force myself <laughs> to think about other things. It's just the way I'm wired. And, you know, uh, I think I think it's a really good thing to say, um, to wrap this up, like, I have to work on my love for music. That's not something that, you know, um, comes comes and stays, you know? I, I love music. And I remember, like, on a bus ride, it was like, I had a long bus ride when I was a kid, super long, like, like 40 minutes. And I lived five minutes away from the school because they just went around the other, you know what I mean? It was small, small towns and stuff. Right. So um, I had a 45 minute bus ride, 45, 40, 45 minutes where, and that's a, that's pretty much a full length out. So Apple music had just come out. It was like beats music back then. And so I would just pick an album and I would listen every single morning to a different album my favorite moments of high school was on that bus, you know, where I get to just love music. I just got to spend a part of my day to love music. And as I've worked in music, and this is something that probably most people won't admit, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be like, yo, I like to sleep and I don't get enough of it. I'm also going to say that I have to work on my love for music because it is so easy after listening to music for eight hours a day to not want to put on your favorite song, to not want to go look for your next favorite song, to not want to like, you know, search for something that makes you super excited about this, to, to you know, um, to listen to music as a consumer and not a professional. It's like these things need to happen for that passion to remain healthy. You, you need to be able to, you know, and I've, and I've so many people I look up to and so many people I respect that work in one genre of music and listen to another, you know, because, you know, for a variety of reasons. Um, but a lot of times, it's because they work in the genre of music and they've lost the look. You know what I mean? They've grinded and they've gotten and they're really good and they make these songs and maybe they got love for some songs that they've done. Maybe they love their songs that they've done, but like surrounding, they've lost, they're not going to be like, oh, I make this type of music. I'm going to listen to this type of music. Like, oh, you know, they've lost their love for that genre. So now they go to somewhere else and they find love again in that place, you know? Um, and there's some people that, you know, are so talented and so good and so passionate about what they do. And they just have lost 
love for all types like of modern music or like they're not looking for new songs that came out on friday like you know um and they've got different arguments on why that's the case but you know i i really strive to to keep my love for music surrounding me surrounding what i do surrounding you know uh who i am i would never want to be too busy enough to to go play those hunting and you know to talk to somebody about their favorite songs and listen to them and i like need to strive to to listen to every single music recommendation anybody gives me it doesn't matter who it comes from because it's like that's how i used to do it on the bus you know and that's how i used to um consume music um and i think it's easy to slip into passion and obsession and lose you know um a feeling of adventure and excitement for the love of music mm. i love that answer thank you so much hank <laughs>